0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you again for a wonderful weekend, this Resurrection Day. As we think about all that you did in sending your son, all that he did in providing salvation. The fact he lives and that Jesus saves, our hearts are filled tonight. But Lord, thank you that you've left us here because people need the message. The only way they're going to hear the good news though is through a church that is right with you and empowered by you. And so would you use the message this evening to speak to our hearts. Lord, on these these Lord's Days, we always remember a sister church, and I want to quickly do that tonight. Thank you for Calvary Baptist in Norfolk. Thank you for Pastor Tim Powell. Continue to bless that work. Uh, Lord, uh, there are so many needs. Help us uh, not to sin in ceasing to pray for those that are part of our church family, other needs that we're aware of. Lord, tonight we do pray for Bob Turner. Lord, you know the serious situation with his other leg and the intense pain that he's in. He can't even walk. Lord, as he sees the doctor this week, there's supposed to be a procedure. Would you use that to give him relief and to heal his leg? Lord, what a blessing to see Joan Hostetler here tonight. Lord, continue to heal her, encourage her, and Gordon, give him strength. Uh, Lord, thank you for them. Lord, meet with us in this time. Draw our hearts to the truth and change us with the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In two weeks, we're going to begin another week of revival meetings, this time with evangelist Rich Tozier. I'm thankful for the gift of the evangelist, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and how God uses that gift in our midst. Many of us have been through weeks of these preaching services. More weeks perhaps than some of us can count. How many of you here know exactly how many uh, weeks of revival services you've been in? Any, anybody? Okay. I, I didn't think so. I commented recently when Ron Comfort was here, I remember as a child, Uh, sitting under his preaching. And, uh, And so we've had that wonderful opportunity. But while God's word never returns void, how many of us, don't raise your hands for this, have truly experienced the supernatural transformative working of what we have heard in those meetings? In fact, I would just ask this. How many of you, Again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have, in a meeting have genuinely experienced revival? You've seen, you've witnessed revival. My question tonight is this, though, primarily. How many of us can look back and say, God met with me and God changed me? As we come to these meetings, that needs to be our heartbeat, God, meet with us or meet with me, and God, change me. Do you believe that that is really God's intent for preaching and a meeting like that? I, I believe that it is. I believe this is a divine appointment. The last time Rich Tozier was here was right in the midst of COVID, And so every night that he preached, it was Brother Tozier here and a couple of us out here and the the sound folks, the live stream people, this place was empty. I'm excited that this place can be full. But I also believe that God wants to revive his people again. Now revival begins with us seeing God as he is. Then seeing ourselves as he sees us, and then our purposing to change for his glory. Revival begins with us seeing God as he is, us seeing ourselves as we are, but but primarily as he sees us, and then purposing to change for his glory. Can we support this from scripture? Absolutely. Isaiah chapter 6 is the revival that took place in Isaiah's heart. The prophecy of Isaiah was powerful because it's inspired scripture. But when the Bible says holy men of God spake as they were moved along, here's a man that had experienced personal revival and so could be moved by the Holy Spirit to write the difficult prophecy that he did. We see in chapter 1 that Isaiah was called, but really, Bible scholars have looked at chapter 6 as his recommissioning. I tend to look at it as his reviving. By the way, we are privileged to have a number of pastors here and missionaries. From time to time, men, we need a reviving from the Lord. We do. I think one of the reasons that America's in trouble is because the church is in trouble and the church is in trouble because we lack God's power. But notice what happened in Isaiah's life. In the year that King Uzziah died, chapter 6, verse 1, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now let me just stop and say the only way that this was going to happen is Isaiah had to spend time alone with the Lord. This did not happen as he was walking a street in Jerusalem. He is alone someplace there with his God. He saw the Lord. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, or is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, can I just pause here for a moment? God allows, pulls back the curtain, and allows Isaiah to see into heaven. Verse 3 is what is happening in the throne room right now. What also is happening, he reigns there at his right hand, is our Savior, the risen Lord. And notice that when he saw God on his throne, he was also reminded by the fact that the whole earth is filled with his glory. When you look at the earth today, do you see God's glory? Now careful, we see it in creation, but but does it look like he's in control? It looks like Satan's in control. But who is really in control? God. The earth is filled with his glory. And as Isaiah watched, verse 4, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, this is Isaiah now, he's seen the Lord, now he's seeing himself as God sees him. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. There it is. The Lord of hosts. He's experienced revival from the standpoint that he is a repentant man who just wants to be right with God. He's seen himself. He is going to make things right so that God, the God of of heaven, is approving of him. And when that happens, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. By the way, realize that that is a picture of redemption. How were Israel's sins covered? What pleased God? Those sacrifices. A sacrificial lamb. A sacrifice, blood shed. These coals were the result of one of those sacrifices. You and I are not right with God. We can't be used of God unless there's been redemption. The angel took that coal, laid it upon my mouth, verse 7, Isaiah says, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is what? taken away thy sin purged now once there's been revival when there's been that reviving then there is a renewal a heart to do whatever god wants me to do also i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us reference there of course to the trinity then said i here am i send me Now, what we've just read in those eight verses fits the description that I've given tonight, a revival. Begins with seeing God as he is, seeing ourselves as he sees us, and then purposing to change for his glory. Now Isaiah is useful to the Lord, and God's going to call him to do something, though, that is very difficult. Did God want the same reviving that happened in Isaiah's life to happen in Israel? The answer is clearly yes. Clearly yes. It is what happens in verses 9 and 10 that helps us understand though why Israel didn't experience the same revival. So look at verse 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their lips, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Now this needs some explanation. It looks like God does not want them to turn to him and be healed. That's not what he is saying here. So what is the Lord saying to his prophet? The Hebrew here is literally, in hearing, hear, in seeing, see. The idea is that though they would hear the prophet's warnings again and again, they're doomed. Because they will not turn to God. This is a heart matter. And in fact, what Isaiah was doing in fulfilling God's word, preaching the word over and over so that they would see and so that they would hear, because of the willing deafness and blindness from their dull hearts, they would not benefit from the word. Verse 10, make the heart of the people fat. Simply means this, The more you preach, the more insensitive they will become. Now let me just help us understand where this is all all leading. God is showing us why Isaiah, why Israel didn't have revival. He's showing Isaiah why they wouldn't have revival. The problem was not the preacher, it wasn't Isaiah. Or what he preached. It wasn't the word from the Lord. That wasn't the problem. It was that God had given them over to spiritual dullness because they would not hear and do. So the more men like Isaiah preached, the more men like Jeremiah preached, what happened? People got harder and harder. Is it because the word of God is not powerful? It's not that. It's the fact that people can determine in their hearts that they're not going to listen to what God says and do it. And when that happens, when you decide, when I decide, the word's preached, I don't know if I want to really hear it, and I'm not convinced I want to do it. You and I, if that's our attitude, we step out into very, very dangerous territory. And God gives us over to spiritual dullness, spiritual blindness, deafness, and a hard heart. Now at this point, it's important to consider a spiritual principle. Here's what Jesus said in John 7, 17. If any man will do his will, he's speaking of his father's will, He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, it's the first part of this verse that is important for what we're considering tonight. If any man will do his will, if even before God's word is proclaimed, a man or a woman or a young person, the heart is, I'm going to do his will. Whatever the preacher is going to say, whatever the Sunday school teacher is going to proclaim, whatever the youth pastor is going to share tonight, God, I'm already going to do your will. You know what God says? You're going to know the doctrine. You're going to understand what is being taught. God's going to make it clear to you. He's going to show you because you already have a heart to do it. And we know practically that this is the way it works anyway. Show me a child or a young person who already has a heart to just do what mom and dad say. And when mom and dad say it, it's clear and it happens. Show me a young person, though, who really doesn't want to obey. And it's amazing how the clear instructions all automatically can become fuzzy and unclear. Well, I didn't know that's what you meant. Really? That's funny. Your siblings all went and did what I meant. How'd you miss it? Well, I I, I didn't hear you. And all the, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's a heart matter. If we will do his will, we'll understand the teaching, the doctrine. And so here's the spiritual principle, and and we're going to bring this uh, together in just a moment. But consider this. Those who hear with a heart that purposes to do will clearly understand the teaching. Those who hear with a heart that purposes to debate will not understand the teaching. I am very aware as a preacher of the gospel that when I stand in front of this assembly, some of you are going to benefit a lot because your heart truly is Lord, I just want to do your will. There are some, it's not going to phase you. Because for whatever reason you're here, it's not so that you can do God's will and find out what he wants for your life. That, that may sound unkind, but that's just the reality. And that's why Pastor Coles and I have discussed this. This is why after all of his years here and my years in the ministry, you can have some people that come to church all the time and the Word never, ever changes them. Right, Pastor? It, nothing changes. How can that be? Hours and hours of hearing the Word of God because they don't hear with a heart that purposes to do. That was Israel. By the way, this is how you explain why Jesus taught in parables. Have you ever wondered about that? Why why did Jesus teach in parables? It's this same problem. Let me show you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. I've given you the reference there in the corner. But in Matthew 13, the the, uh, the disciples... They were puzzled about this as well. And so they come to the Lord and notice what they ask him in verse 10. The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and to him that hath more abundance, uh, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because. Now this is interesting, he's going to quote Isaiah. Are you watching? Because they sing, see not, hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, it's grown insensitive. Exactly what Isaiah was teaching. Their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now how do we know the eyes and the ears of the disciples... They were willing to hear with a heart, the purpose to do. How do we know that? Well, they're following Jesus. These are the same guys. Jesus passes them as, as they're along the Sea of Galilee, and he says, follow me. What do they do? They drop everything. The boat, the nets, dead, and here they go, following the Lord. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting around a bunch of money, follow me. What does he do? Gets up, follows the Lord. Willing to do, and so they're going to understand the teaching. Now in this message, I want us to see from Isaiah's prophecy, really how to pray for revival in your life and the hearts of those in our church family, how to pray for revival. The purpose of this message is to focus on the reality that we've looked at in the introduction so that we might pray with the prophet Isaiah, Lord, change this problem in the hearts of your people here. Change their heart, my heart, that we might fear thee, hear thee, and do your will. God has burdened my heart as we come to another week of revival meetings. And and it's interesting to me, we're coming to this week of meetings as we complete our 50th year as a church. Do you believe God wants to send revival here? What does that mean? We need to pray, Lord, would you so work in the hearts of all of us at Good News, starting with me, Work in our hearts, work in my heart, so that, Lord, you take away any deafness, blindness, hardness. And, Lord, bring us to the point where we're willing to obey you, do your will, no matter what, that that's our attitude. We're completely surrendered so that when your word is preached, Lord, have your way. Like Isaiah said, here am I. Haven't even heard what you want, but send me. Now, did Isaiah actually pray this prayer? Yes, and to see this, we now need to turn over to Isaiah 63. This is the place in Isaiah's prophecy where he comes back to what the Lord said. Now, he's been preaching. He has been warning Israel. And the way Israel is responding is exactly how God said they would. And I think at this point, this is a very frustrated prophet. Lord, I know you said it, but please, 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 would you do a work in their hearts, revive them. That's what he's going to pray. I know that there are a lot of pastor friends who would preach this message and they'd be begging God because what they see in their church is just deadness and coldness. I am so thankful that that is not primarily what I see at Good News. It's an Easter night, a lot of folks are with family, they're traveling, they're away. But on resurrection Sunday, here you are. And as I talk to you and and you you express what God is doing in your life, you have a heart to do God's will. I see it over and over and over again here. But here's here's my burden. I know God needs to revive your pastor. And I believe God needs to revive you. Do we believe that we as a church are where we should be and that we have all the power here that God wants to demonstrate through us? Do we believe that? I hope not. We can be encouraged by what he's doing. And by the way, God does encourage us, and I'm so thankful he does that. We need revival. We need God to do a work in each of our hearts to bring us to the place where we are clean and where our attitude is, Lord, it doesn't matter, just show me and I'll do it. Because I'm already doing what you've shown me. Isaiah was given a preview of his people's future. He could see the Babylonians coming in taking Israel into captivity, leaving the homeland devastated. I don't want to be negative tonight, but this is really, in my time living in this country, this is the first time, and I I know I'm young. Some of you were here during World War II and so on. Okay. This is the first time where I really do feel like we have enemies that are a genuine threat to us. I think we have government leaders who are selling us out. They're giving information to our enemies. They're letting balloons fly over and gather all kinds of stuff. Now, don't get mad at me. That's just reality. And if you love your country, you'd be concerned too. Isaiah was concerned. God showed him what was going to happen. Yet he could also see the people restored to their lands so that the uh, stage would be set for the promised Messiah who would establish his eternal kingdom. God made it clear to Isaiah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this rebel people a whole nation of witnesses for me. That's where I'm, what I'm going to do with them. He showed, them, showed uh, Isaiah that. And so Isaiah is saying there's hope and he's praying for revival. Isaiah 63, 17 picks up from where, what we saw back in Isaiah 6. Remember what God told the prophet. Now look at Isaiah 63 and notice please verse 17. O Lord... Why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and, here's the phrase, hardened our heart from thy fear? Now, is he blaming God? No. Lord, why have you allowed their rebellion to make them spiritually blind, spiritually dull, and to have hard hearts? God, please change it. That's his prayer. Look at it. Return For thy servant's sake. He's not talking about himself. Who's he talking about? The tribes of thine inheritance. Lord, for thy sake, change their heart. Now, what did Isaiah pray before this that ultimately led to verse 17? What did Isaiah ask for that would soften the Jews' hearts and cause them to turn back to God? And for sake of time, I'm only going to be able to give you the first point of my message. We'll finish it another time. But first, I want us to see that he asked God to let Israel see his approving face again. Look at verse 15. Look down from heaven, and behold, from the habitation of thy holiness and of thy glory. I want us to look at that phrase, look down from heaven. What is he implying when the prophet says this? Lord, you've stopped looking our way. You don't even look on us right now. So what does that mean? Look down from heaven. How appropriate for him to begin here. He realizes the people could not get anything else from God until they first got him to look down and to notice their wretched condition. He realizes that God had turned his face from them. That's the point. Friday night, we celebrated Passover. We talked about uh, our Lord's sacrifice for us. He went to the cross. And when Jesus became our sin, what did the Father do? Here's the point He looked away. Do you know why the Father looked away from Jesus? Because at that very point, Jesus looked like Mike, He looked like you. And God turned away. He cannot behold iniquity. That's what the scripture says. And so God had left them to themselves. They had imagined they could manage without God and had foolishly turned to gross wickedness. Isaiah will talk about it. I believe this describes our nation as well and sadly, many in the church. Popular thinking about God is that he sits in heaven caring little about what we do. We seem to have forgotten what Isaiah brings out about God. His habitation, again, notice the verse, is one of holiness and glory. We may take a tolerant view of sin, but God never will. Roger Ellsworth. Is commenting on in commenting on this passage said this quote: When we begin to smile complacently complacently upon sin, God stops smiling on us and turns his face away. End quote. That is our God. Yes, He's your Father if you're a believer, but there's a reason. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, He won't hear us. Why? He's not looking at us. Until we restore that fellowship, 1 John 1, 9, but confessing our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive, but he, he is not going to look on you with a smile. Now, can we show this in other places in Scripture? I believe there is a distinction between Israel and the church, Clearly. But the way God responded to Israel, here's the biblical principle, is the way he responds to the individual believer in the church. What did God say to Israel if they turned from him to sin? Hold your place and would you go to Deuteronomy 31? Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You're going to see a well-known expression here that we may be tempted to read over, but we dare not. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 17 and 18. Here's what God says, Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will what? I'll hide my face. I'll hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Do you know that Isaiah's day is the fulfillment of this? God has turned his face just like he said he would do. Verse 18. And I will surely hide what my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. That's the God of the Bible, folks. Now I need to seek his favorable presence, and God does want to smile on me. He wants me to be able to look to heaven and because of what the Spirit of God is is saying to my heart, because my life is in line with what he says in his word, he wants me to be able to look to heaven and see his approval. Again, I'm aware we are justified. When When God sees me, he sees Jesus' righteousness, but he also sees my heart. Let's illustrate this. Have you ever been estranged from someone that you love? Maybe as you were growing up, you got away from the Lord and you had parents that loved the Lord. And when you looked into the face of your godly dad or mom, you didn't see approval. You saw concern. Maybe even they dropped their eyes because you could tell their hearts were broken about where you were at spiritually. Maybe there are some who see that now because of where you're at spiritually. I tell you where it's really hard is when a parent is estranged from a child. And you can't look with that approval. And you remember times in the past where you could, you could just have sweet times together and, and uh, things were right and, and you long for those times again. But when you, when you think about that relationship now, what caused the strain and, and it takes away your smile. Tell you what, nothing helps us understand the heart of our God than when you're a parent and you have straying children. And we would give anything to be able to smile again with a full heart, knowing that things are right. That is the heart of God, but our God is no pretender. And God wants us to have the same longing in our heart if we're away from him where we can pray, Lord, let us see the approval of your face once again. Having said that, nothing is more satisfying and thrilling than living in the consciousness of God smiling upon us and nothing is more dreadful than living without that smile. Is this not the reason the church is as she is? You've got to be still to know God. You've got to be alone with God to see, really, His smile, what He thinks about you. The church today is distracted. We're busy. We're trying to get all we can and can all we can get. In the church, we use promotions, attractive programs, entertaining preachers. But are we really seeing the fullness of God's blessing because we know we're right with Him? I believe He's grieved by our sins. And I believe that as the Lord looks on the church in America, not every church, but when He looks, He turns His face away. And so we're going to close there tonight, but let me challenge us with this. Would you pray for revival that's coming? And would you pray specifically, Lord, the hearts at Good News, my heart, those that I love, those that you love there, Lord, would you Bring our heart to the point where we are willing to do whatever you want. Lord, break, remove eyes that are not seeing, ears that are not hearing, and hearts that are insensitive to you. And then pray specifically, Lord, let us see the approval of your face. Thank you for listening.